Hey Insider, I've got a special episode today featuring a success insider called Sean Cannell, who's a YouTuber, entrepreneur, and an international speaker, and the founder of Think Media and Video Influencers. If you're somebody who wants to learn how to create a successful online business utilizing the video platforms such as YouTube, this episode will be very helpful for you. And at the same time, we go quite deep into talk about the mindset that's required to become a successful entrepreneur. So be sure to pay close attention to the golden nuggets that spread it throughout this interview. So without further ado, Insider, I hope you enjoyed today's episode featuring a success insider called Sean Cannell. Enjoy. When you were starting out, Sean, how did you maintain that discipline to keep on publishing because it does require you to get out of your comfort zone and so forth compared to text right yeah i mean when i was first starting out i really believed this tim that reasons come before results and so you know motivation the root word is motive and so what is your motive like why is it that you want to do this i think the first thing that really was motivating me was just kind of a drive to get better and learn you know i've always been curious Um, I've uh, been passionate. And so early on, I just got fascinated with video and I wanted to master it. I think that pursuit of mastery. But Tim, to be honest, when I really tapped into a new level of discipline was in 2009. And that was actually the hardest season of my life. Um, At the time, uh, the housing market was crashing here in the US. And so my wife and I had a couple homes, one that was a rental property, but that the, the tenants lost their job. Um, the church we were working at by now is working part-time there. There was some kind of failures in senior leadership and things started to crumble there out of our control. So that's kind of blindsiding us. And also my wife actually was very sick and she uh, at one time in 2007 went on a trip to the Philippines and uh, came back sick, started losing all this weight. She was throwing up all the time and eventually almost died. She dropped to 82 pounds and So in 2009, I find myself in the hospital with her for six days. And it was during that season that I really had so much self-reflection. Of course, one, just being overwhelmed with why, why is this happening? Why are things falling all apart around us? But also I started thinking, okay, I got to step up as a man. I got to step up as an entrepreneur, as a leader. I really need to take it to another level. We were dual income and now she's not able to work. And during those six days, It was one of the most powerful times of my life because we talk about reasons come before results. And I was like, man, I got to hustle. Like I got to figure this stuff out. And that motivation, you know, when it comes to social media and building your brand online, I think fame, you know, followers, I think uh, fortune, all of those things are fine, but I really think the reasons need to be deeper. And so it was during those six days that I was like, man, it was, it was family for me. I was like, I need to take care of my wife. And it was also, I was tapping into empathy for what was happening in the world. You know, you feel pretty invincible. We got married at 21, but this hit us just a few years later. So we're young. Most people don't get hit with chronic illness and, and, and challenges like that. And it really caused us to age up, rise up. And so for me, I tapped deep into those reasons. And my drive since then has been pretty relentless. And it was because I was like, I want to make money online. I want to build a life and a business on my own terms not just so I can travel the world, that's cool, not just so I can buy Ferraris or whatever, that's all fine, but it was so that I could build a lifestyle where I could be at home with my wife, when we have kids in the future, maybe take care of her. So for anybody listening, I would think, um, you know, what are your reasons? And if you could tap into those deep reasons, we all know we're going to hit setbacks when we don't want to do this stuff, when we don't want to put in the work, and we don't want to be disciplined. But when I wake up and I remember my reasons, family, my faith, um, I, 
I, I feel I can tap into that unstoppable drive and uh, face whatever challenge may come. So nowadays, since you've, I suppose, with the early with the early motivation it was to do, being able to provide back to your loved ones, let's say. But since you've achieved, uh, you know, the financial goals that most people tend to dream about, let's say, what tends to drive you today? Is it the same motivation or is it just an upgraded version of it? Or what, what is it today? It's an upgraded version. You know, it's such a great question because, you know, what, what ended up happening, Tim, was it was back around now I'm 23 or 24 and I, I had an idea of what could, was possible with the Internet. I thought, OK, we could live a life on our own terms. We could support our own family. We could support our own goals and needs, medical bills or whatever challenges. But when I was about 30, 31, um, I, we had accomplished all of our dreams. My dream was like, I want to be able to do this full time, meet our needs, work from home on our own terms. And about 30, 31, I achieved that. And so what I realized actually was a really kind of a precarious season because I kind of went through an emotional, and a lot of people hit this, entrepreneurs, when you reach that first goal or that top of the mountain, at least that first mountain, you sometimes lose purpose. You're like, well, what's next, you know? And so I had to do a lot of soul searching and I discovered for me um, a higher level of purpose, if you will, you know, to be honest, uh, since that time, we had met our own needs. Financially, we had all of our own money. But I would say for some people, they think, you know, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of wealth, they say, you know what, I don't need that. They say, I just need enough for me and my family. But honestly, I believe that's selfish. Because if all you care about is you and your family, then you're out of touch with what's happening in the world. And that means there's needs all around the world. There's causes, there's things that that need help, they need financial support. So I believe that as humans, if we're strong, if we're able-bodied, if we've got the mental clarity and the wherewithal to produce, that we have to have a vision that's bigger than just ourselves. Mm-hmm. So during uh, when I was around 31, I started to kind of capture into a bigger vision. And since that time, I also, I was kind of just a solo YouTuber. And it's kind of cool that as a YouTuber, you could do this full-time and produce wealth. Um, but then I was like, well, what, what about supporting a team? What about scaling this and taking it to another level? And now since that time, we have about 10 people on our team, our company Think Media based in Las Vegas. And I started to realize like, well, as an entrepreneur, besides giving back, there's also like you can support other people. Like uh, you, if you've got somebody on your team, you hire people, th- th- those resources can support their kids or the homes they want to buy or the things that they want to do as well as the fact that your vision can just be bigger than yourself in general, because if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with other people. And so it was a big pivot shift. And I see this, a lot of my peers, I see them kind of stuck with sort of a myopic vision and not to be critical, but just kind of like, well, me and my family, I'm doing well, I can kind of buy whatever I want, do whatever I want. But I I had a shift and, and I actually needed that for me because it wasn't just enough. I wasn't satisfied with just, just, you know, having enough for us. We wanted to do something bigger. It was scary. Those first couple hires still is. It was scary to go to another level. It was scary to actually, if you will, reach the top of the mountain and then to realize it's actually just kind of that first mountain. And there's so much more impact difference we can make. And so um, that wandering I went through for about six months uh, was kind of remedied by capturing vision for another level. I think that all of us as humans always need another vision. And just to add one more thing, it reminds me kind of what, of what people say when they potentially reach retirement, that if you don't stay busy when you hit retirement, if you don't still have a vision, if you don't have, still have a reason to wake up in the morning, 
sometimes people don't live very long, but we've, we've both seen, right, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe 90s that are still vibrant, that are still full of life, full of energy, usually because they've got a purpose and a vision that's much bigger than themselves, and that keeps you vibrant in your life. I really love that. Yeah. And I've noticed that as a pattern in a lot of the people we've invited on the show in regards to that bigger cause and the bigger reason, as you say. So once, let's say the person watching right now adopts that big vision and they, they say, you know what, I'm going to take on Sean's advice and I'm going to start a YouTube channel with this reason and so forth. What would you say, even though people start with the greatest intention, what is the biggest issue or mistake that people tend to make when it comes to more the YouTube tactics, let's say? Yeah, I think that um, this is true in almost in every, it is true in every industry. Uh, And the biggest mistake people make on YouTube is not beginning with the end in mind. Of course, the famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of the habits is begin with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. And when you do that, then you can reverse engineer a strategy. And so a lot of people, and I, I think this is okay, you might go on YouTube, you're dabbling a little bit, you're experimenting a little bit, you don't know what to shoot. You grab your phone, you shoot a video, but a lot of YouTube channels are, are random and therefore they don't get results. And so I think that having clarity, we wrote a book recently called YouTube Secrets and there's the seven C's of YouTube success. The second one is clarity. Start with the end in mind. What is the purpose of the YouTube channel? Who is it you want to reach? Who's your target audience? A lot of people think, well, you know, I hope to reach the world, you know, seven, eight billion people. But I've learned that if you try and reach everybody, you end up reaching nobody. And so having that clarity of who you want to reach, of what is your value proposition, it reminds me of your, your channel. It's amazing, right? Success Insider. You've got all this content. People know what you're going to deliver. But look, I'm not going to watch your YouTube channel to learn gardening tips. I'm not watching your YouTube channel to learn how to do my makeup and do smoky eye. You know, I'm not going to watch your, your, your YouTube channel, you know, because you have a clear vision, a clear purpose on your channel. Most people, and even businesses, sometimes businesses, you know, we just did some traditional media recently for our book launch. And even on their YouTube channel, there's kind of a, the old school mindset of traditional media is uploading some videos on YouTube. They're not, they're not breaking through. They're not really being successful because they're just scattering content out there. They don't have a value proposition. What's the point of the YouTube channel? Just random clips and they're not getting results. But when you really get clarity, and that's something that all of us as entrepreneurs and leaders we need to constantly pursue. Clarity is not a one-time uh, event. It is a continuous unfolding, if you will, of getting greater clarity for our target audience, the purpose of our business, who we want to reach, how we want to reach them, when we're going to upload, what we're going to upload. And so that might sound, especially on YouTube, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of different things. But it is worth sitting down and, and I would say practically put pen to paper. Don't even do it in Evernote. Put pen to paper and write down answers to some of those questions. What's the point of your YouTube channel? Who is your target audience? And then what is your value proposition? Meaning, what are you going to upload and when to, uh, to your target audience? And then finally, write the promise that you can articulate if someone was to say, why should I subscribe? If you go, because I'm awesome and because you should. So that's not very clear. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? But if you say, well, if you want to level up your success, you know, master your mindset and achieve greater results faster, then subscribe to this YouTube channel because every Tuesday and Thursday, I upload new content for free that will help you achieve those results in your life. 
Now someone can decide if they want to join you for that journey because you have crystal clear clarity. And I believe that that is really where the breakthrough is and one of the biggest mistakes people make. So how do you go about gaining crystal clarity on your, your vision and your value proposition then? Because, you know, I've come across a lot of people who have a lot of ideas and that's why they end up doing nothing. So what, what would you say in terms of those people right now? How can they just pick the one thing? Great question, because as, as I pontificate about how important it is, I don't believe it's easy to achieve. And I think that an opportunity to start is to start a little bit random because I think clarity takes time and we learn by doing. So what I would encourage people to do if they're unsure is to do something and to do actually as much as you can because by working, by doing it, by putting out content or by creating content, you actually will be able to hone down your vision. And here's what I mean. First of all, 2009, I start Clear Vision Media, my business, and I'm doing video production, but I also, over the years, I learned that I didn't like all video production the same. I did a few wedding videos, enjoyed them, but then learned I don't really want to do wedding videos. It's too stressful. I'm worried I'm going to miss the kiss, the amount of work for whatever reason. I worked for a few small businesses, a few local restaurants. I thought that's not exactly what I want to do either. I eventually learned that like you, I'm passionate about personal development and, and success. So I loved covering live events. I loved covering conferences where there was like personal development speakers because it was something I was passionate about. So I was connecting video production with something I was passionate about, but I had to do a lot of work. Like that was just years of experimenting, trying, testing. So if you're in a season where you don't have clarity, I think you should start anyways because your project, your first YouTube channel might just be practice for what you will eventually do later. So then I started a YouTube channel just under my name, Sean Cannell. And Tim, you know, in a month's time, I think I uploaded just a, a vlog with my wife and I going on a date. The next upload was a cooking tutorial about how to barbecue corn on the cob on a barbecue. The next upload was my review of The Amazing Spider-Man, a movie that had come out. The next video was us unboxing BarkBox dog toys for our two chihuahuas. It was all over the place. But what was powerful about that was not that that channel was successful, but it, it was that I was learning to shoot video and edit. I was learning what worked and what didn't. I was just taking massive action. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they ponder and they don't just press record. You know, your YouTube channel might actually be a, a failed channel, but it's never a failure because sometimes you win, right? And sometimes you learn. So when I look over my history now, we have Think Media and Video Influencers are two main channels that are just super powerful. They're super clear now, but I have actually a couple failed YouTube channels, but they were part of the process. They weren't failures. They were stepping stones. My Sean Cannell channel didn't really go anywhere. My business channel, Clear Vision Media, didn't really go anywhere. But Tim, I uploaded probably over a thousand videos before I moved into this season of clarity. I don't think it needs to take everybody else that long. And you might start right out. You might be, I'm a personal trainer. And I know that I want to help people with that. I love fitness and nutrition. So maybe you already have clarity on your niche. But if you don't, I encourage people to try things. It makes me think about also, I've interned, I've volunteered, I've worked at different jobs. All of those different things helped me learn what I'm not good at or what I don't like doing, which got me closer to that zone of clarity that I now have. Wow. I can, I mean, even just speak to you, uh, speak to you, Sean, I can feel the, the energy in, in terms of you uh, being a producer and just, just getting it done. So I suppose for people who are inspired by that and they begin to produce the content, 
how can they begin to get more views in their content? Is there some, because a lot of different speakers, let's say, talk about different algorithms that's important to them. What would you say is the most important SEO or whatever factors when it comes to ranking videos? Yeah, that I think you hit it right off the head on the nail. The way I built my brand was understanding that YouTube is a search engine. In fact, YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, second to Google, and Google owns YouTube. So Google is dominating search, which means YouTube has a distinct advantage over other social media platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, these other platforms are not search engines the way that YouTube is. Whereas YouTube's different where people go to YouTube and they'll type in an inquiry. They will type in just like topics on your channel and I could see you're doing this where they might say how to stay motivated when life gets hard. And so here's a practical tip that listeners can do. You could open up your laptop right now or your phone, open up the YouTube app or go to the website and you go right to the YouTube search bar and when you start typing there, it actually will finish your sentence for you. It's one of the things that Google auto predicts because it's trying to read your mind and help you get to the result they think you're looking for sooner. But one of the cool things about those predictions is those are search terms that real people are searching for around the world in order of importance. So if you were to type in something like how to um, get greener uh, or like healthier tomatoes, if you had a gardening channel, you could type in how to lose, and it's going to probably finish the sentence. It's going to say how to lose weight. So if you had a fitness channel, you go, okay, well, of course people are typing that in. But check this out. If you type in how to lose weight, you do another space, it might say fast. You do another space, it might say fast for women. You do another space, you could play it out and say how to lose weight for women over 40. That's where you really want to be if you want to be getting views and if you're starting from scratch on YouTube. You want to research before you press record. Too many of us kind of lock ourselves in our office and think, okay, what should I create? Let me just shoot a video about something, throw it on the internet, maybe people will care. You want to actually research before you even press record to figure out, well, what is my target audience searching for? You know, there's some things I'm passionate about, but is anybody else even looking for this? And then how should I position this so that people can find it? And this is true in like every niche. For example, uh, Heather, who's a part of our community, has a homeschool channel. So she's typed in homeschool VS versus and there's homeschool versus public school. She thought, oh yeah, I can speak on that as she has a channel about helping aspiring homeschool moms. So she made that video, it ranked in search and starting from scratch, just a little over a year ago, she now has 10,000 subscribers from really creating search-based content in a specific niche of homeschool. For me, I would type in things like best camera for YouTube, but then there was all these distinctions. Best cheap cameras for YouTube, that's different, right? Not everyone's got the same budget or best 4K camera for YouTube. So that would be another tip, is that you, you wanna really be more specific with what we're talking about right now, which is keywords and keyword research. Because if you go broad, how to lose weight, that's, I mean, there's, there's so many people in the world, I mean, they have different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, you know, without dieting or with weight, you know, through muscle training or strength training. There's so many different distinctions. And when you drill down into those, not only are you getting uh, real research of what people are interested in watching, but you also can find opportunities. We call it white space. And I'm stunned that in 2018 and 2019, there's still so much white space on YouTube if you do your research and you look for those keyword and video idea opportunities on YouTube. Do you think, I'm curious to know if you think 
everyone can be a YouTuber. Do you think everyone can be successful on YouTube? So I, I would say, I believe, I actually do believe everybody can be successful on YouTube. And here's what I mean. If someone's passionate about this industry, number one, you could be successful on YouTube because you've got the personality, you've got the charisma, and you could just, you could be like the successful YouTubers we see. It's a talent-based type of an opportunity for you. That's number one, but not everybody has that same DNA and charisma. Number two, I believe there's massive opportunity for practically being successful on YouTube. And what I mean is, you know, even one of the people we interviewed for, um, for video influencers names John Kohler. He's got a channel called Growing Your Greens, very passionate about gardening. Um, and he made this channel that now has over 550,000 subscribers. He has a juicer company, juicing company, where he sells uh, juicers. And it, it completely has blown up his company and blown up his revenue. And he's got a lot of energy on camera, but it's not like he has Hollywood training. It's not like he's, you know, talented like you would think of some artist or whatever. In fact, he uses a $150 refurbished Canon camera. He doesn't edit his videos. And a lot of his videos are over an hour long, but they tap deep into a core audience that just wants the information he's sharing um, when it comes to compost and different kind of greens and salads and juicing. So by being in a specific niche, it's really not necessarily about that talent or charisma. It's about the value that you bring. It's about the tribe that you can gather. And, you know, I think that everyone should read an article on Google called A Thousand True Fans, written by Kevin Kelly. And it's a famous article because it actually breaks down the fact that, you know, you don't need a million subscribers. You don't even need 10,000. You only need a thousand true fans to be successful and even be full-time in any kind of online endeavor. And the math breaks down that if you have a thousand true fans that do a hundred dollars of business with you a year, that's a, that's a six figure income. That's a hundred thousand dollars a year. So if you sold, sold a $20 t-shirt once a quarter, or if you created some sort of a product, or if you created a digital product that you could have a very niche channel, just about retro gaming or just about underwater basket weaving or just about whatever it is, and you could potentially be successful. But the third area I would say, because if you're not in those first two categories, I think the third area is that you could be successful by learning YouTube and helping others with it. You know, we're moving into an era right now where small businesses, brands are waking up to how important social media is, how important online video is, um, and video in general. And so if you learn SEO, you learn the best practices of YouTube, you learn all of the distinctions of YouTube, you could work as a freelancer, you could work as a consultant, you could sell, if you will, local marketing services um, to uh, business owners in your area. And again, you would be successful on YouTube or on other social media platforms. And so I think where there's a will, there's a way. I, I do believe that anybody that puts their mind to it um, could find those are different paths. Those are different paths to go down. You, you, I'm not saying that everyone's going to be PewDiePie at the time right now, the most subscribed YouTuber on YouTube. I don't think it's about that. I do think it's about finding your niche and uh, maximizing that. And the last thing I would say is if there is somebody, because I know definitely I'm empathetic to the fact that we live in a global world. People are not all with equal starting points as re in regards to access to technology or even the internet or resources or education. But if there's somebody who has made it out of your circumstances, whether that's where you were born, your country, your background, if there's somebody who's done it, then that just proves that you could do it too. People of all different ethnicities, IQs, backgrounds, personalities, 
have succeeded on YouTube. It's stunning. You could study it out and see across the world that there's examples of people that have made it. And if they can make it, I really believe that if you put your mind to it, you put in the persistence, the work, and the strategy needed that you could get there. Yeah, I found that to be so true. Uh, in fact, sometimes even in the comments box, uh, I see some people saying, this is great, but this is my age or this is where I'm from. And it's a sad reality. It's almost like being a victim of that. And that's the thing that keeps them trapped. So say somebody's going to be consistent now and they're going to be disciplined and they're going to follow through what you're saying in terms of taking that action. What would you say is the fastest way for them to start generating revenue on, on their YouTube channel? What, what would you advise them in regards to that? I really believe that the fastest way to start revenue, to start generating revenue, number one would be to sell your time. Um, I think that it's going to be a longer road to do YouTube ads. For example, if you put ads on your videos, the average CPM in the US is $2 per 1,000 views. So if you get 1,000 views, you'll get $2. That means you need a million views to make $2,000. Now, internationally, it's different CPMs. It could be much higher. It also could be lower. So if you're going to make money from YouTube ads, it's typically going to be a long road, if ever. But the cool thing that we teach is that that is, doesn't even need to be a focus of your monetization strategy. Secondly, affiliate marketing is how I made uh, money on YouTube originally and a full-time income, high five-figure and six-figure income just off YouTube and affiliate marketing by reviewing cameras, talking about different equipment and gear, and linking to the Amazon affiliate program, the Amazon Associates program, which would mean if I talked about a camera and someone clicked a link in the description and made that purchase, I would get a percentage of the sale a small percentage, but if you could increase the volume of that, you could make some pretty good income. But that's also a pretty slow road. And we like to say that YouTube is a marathon, not a sprint. So if it comes to generating income and revenue, I really believe that you wanna have patience and not expect it to pay your bills the first week or maybe even the first month. It's kinda of like a small business. Don't expect to be profitable for maybe 24 to 36 months. I believe you could get success much faster than that but that's the mindset and the mentality you'd want to commit to when it comes to generating revenue. But the final thing I would say then, the fastest way though, would be to sell your time. So I know people, one has a, a YouTube channel, uh, we were just doing a coaching call and she helps people uh, with career advice, helps people get the resumes written, get the dream job that they want to land. And with only maybe a few hundred or a few thousand subscribers, she's already generating about a thousand dollars a month. Um, and she does that through coaching, through like one-on-one -on -one Skype calls where she can help people get that career coaching they need. And so even though she has $1,000 a month is way more than most YouTubers are making that are just trying to uh, make money off of ads. Why? Because she's offering a service. So I think a life coach, a fitness coach, a career coach, um, or time for money. It could also be freelance services. You could do upwork.com and you could use your YouTube channel to market that, or you could get, uh, give a button directly to PayPal or uh, Stripe or something else to say, Hey, hire me and I'll do your taxes, hire me and I'll coach you through this, hire me and I'll design some graphics for you. So ultimately if you want to make fast money on YouTube, I think that you don't even need a large audience have some sort of a service that you could sell. And the last thing I would say is, of course, there's the example of, I think of somebody in our, our community named Steve Panette. He's a real estate agent. And if you go to YouTube and you type in Phoenix, Arizona, real estate agent, his video pops up first talking about ranked videos. 
Now his channel only has less than a thousand subscribers. That video has a couple thousand views. And so there's no fame really on his channel. There's nothing flashy, but he's one of the top agents crushing it, selling homes, which his commissions are massive, right? When he's selling homes compared to some affiliate marketing. So if you can use YouTube and connect it to some other business model that you have, to be honest, network marketing is an option. Uh, being a real estate agent is an option. Whatever that is, if you use your YouTube channel to some other monetary vehicle, then yes, you can make money really quick. Okay. You were mentioning earlier in regards to thousand true fans. What would you say from your experience of creating a community yourself and creating those fans, what would you say is the most important factor in regards to making that a reality? I think that uh, the thing I've tried to do has been greatly influenced by a pretty well-known social media voice um, and best-selling author, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I read his book back in 2009, and it really encouraged me on um, the journey that we're in today called Crush It. But he also wrote his second book was called Thank You Economy. And one of the things that was inspiring about Gary was even when he showed up on my radar, he had over 1 million Twitter followers. And I remember when I asked him a question on Twitter and he replied to me and I admired him. I looked up to him and it was such a stunning connection um, that happened when that very short Twitter exchange, I don't think he said more than four or five words and there wasn't even punctuation on the end, <laughs> but, it, but it created such a big bridge uh, when I, somebody I looked up to or somebody who seemed distant online actually had that personal touch with me. And then he really expanded on that idea in Thank You Economy by really putting in the time. I mean, people think oh, I can't answer every comment or I, you know, I can't spend my whole day in Instagram direct messages or answering emails, but I might challenge that. I, I think actually maybe you can. I mean, I think it's maybe a mindset shift. So from learning from him in that example, I've tried to do the same thing. And so that has gone from everything to where whatever comments came in on, on my channel early, not only would I try to reply to them on YouTube, but sometimes I would stalk them a little bit. I might click through, maybe their YouTube channel name wasn't even their name. I would like look through and, and look at their channel and go to their about page and see that this makeup name channel that was run by Jennifer. So then I'd go back and say, Jennifer, thank you so much for the support. I just took a few extra seconds to go find that person's name and put that in the comments. Beyond that, I would even go through to their channel and maybe see if they connected any social media accounts and see that they have a Twitter. I might click their Twitter, follow them on Twitter and say, thank you so much. I appreciate that you would watch one of my videos because I saw their comment. And I might even send them a Twitter video. Another thing I learned from Gary Vaynerchuk. I didn't even know you could do video on Twitter a few years ago. And those types of one-to-one -one connections, I think is how you build those 1,000 true fans. I'll tell you what, over the years, there's been a lot of mentors or social media voices or entrepreneur experts that I've looked up to. But I don't think any of them have ever replied to me uh, like someone like Gary uh, has. And, you know, he runs a, a $200 million agency with 700, 800 employees and gets a lot of criticism for being a CEO that he's not spending his time wisely. But I would think uh, that's not true at all. I think he's spending his time very wisely by creating deep connections with his community. And so I've tried to pass that DNA along. And I found that to be true. I, I just the other day, I was replying to somebody um, who messaged me on Instagram and went to the spam folder because I didn't follow the person. And they were uh, they picked up our book. First of all, that's amazing. So I'm like, thank you so much. And they had a question. So I answered it. And we're really busy right now. I'm on a book tour. I've got a lot going on. I've got different things and fires to put out in our business. That's the nature of being an entrepreneur. 
but I've tried to never get disconnected to that. Last night, I spent 30 minutes before I went to bed just trying to engage with as many people as I could on social media. And so that has remained true through every season for me. And I think we need to capture that. I understand that people think, okay, I want to live the four-hour work week. I want to just automate everything and then not be there and just make money. And hey, if that works for you, cool. But I think when it comes to being an influencer online and building a thousand true fans, I think you really have to care for, nurture, and respect and value and love your fans and deeply appreciate the fact that they would take the time in their day in this busy world with so many options to leave a comment, to watch your videos. And if that comes from a true place, it'll really make you stand out online because at the end of the day, not many people are doing that. It's interesting because uh, the, the last guest I have, it's almost like a pattern I've noticed, but I, I've been doing a hundred, I took part in a, part in a hundred day upload challenge. Uh, one of the hardest things I've done in a while in terms of the daily uploads, because I was going from free uploads to now one a day. And last week I was having a big breakthrough in terms of running out of content. At the same time, more comments more than ever. And I got to connect with uh, Ryan Dice, you know, from Digital Marketer. And I really found it humbling how he was saying he's starting a new business right now. And he said his main role, most of his time in this business, is he's directly jumping on these calls with these potential clients and asking questions. And he said to him, even at TNC, during lunch, I'm walking around speaking directly with my customers. And I really, really liked how humble he was in regards to that. And this is why his brand is massive, right? Well, and Tim, let me take it further. We just did a mastermind in Vegas, one of our first ones, a business and marketing mastermind. And I was on the stage and I said, hey, as it was ending, I said, you know what? If you need anything at all, you want us to look over something you've done, you want us to help you. And mind you, these are people who've invested at a much higher level to be at this event. But I said, email us, reach out to us. My team and I are here for you. And one of the guests at the end, Natalie, comes up to me and she says, She goes, Sean, that was crazy. She goes, I've been to so many different masterminds. I've been to so many different things and no one's ever said that. And it just really stood out to me. And I thought, why would we not say that? I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve you. My definition of success now that we run an online video education company is our students success. And so I am an advocate. I'm fighting for them. And so we use an app called Bonjuro and Uh, That allows us when we get a new customer to actually just send a quick video message from myself or someone on my team. And we actually do try to get on the phone whenever possible. And, you know, I am, my hometown's Las Vegas, famous for Zappos, Tony Shea, great book, Delivering Happiness. And one of the things they do in their culture is you're rewarded if you stay the longest on the phone with a customer, where in most businesses, they'd say, let's be as efficient as possible, get through these calls as quick as possible. I think the record was almost eight hours. A lady in their company stayed on the phone. If the person wanted to keep talking, she was there to talk to them, ask them about family, get to know them. She was just there and she had been empowered by the CEO, top-down leadership, to create that kind of culture of love and care in their business. And it certainly helped them be remarkable and stand out. So am I saying that works in every arena? Not necessarily, but I do think I love what you're saying about Ryan. We found that when we just jump on the phone with somebody, their minds are blown. And though we get all kinds of insight about how our products could be better, we get all kinds of insight about uh, things we didn't know or whatever. And so we get to know our target audience better. We get to know details about our business better. But we also are creating raving fans and lifelong advocates 
because you know I'm a part of a lot of programs too. We have some membership sites, we have some different things we do, and I'm not even I, I love the the people I'm receiving value from. But shoot, I never get calls from them. I, I never really get. E Sometimes I can email them, they never email back. You know, I, who knows what's happening over there? And so we're trying to create something different. And so far, our audience, our community, our customers have really been remarking about how that is different in today's world. Mm. So what, you know, having personally started new channels myself and some of them has, I suppose, worked, some of them haven't. I, I know firsthand because some of our insiders, they work a nine to five job and they have to balance that, that work with life at the same time, side hustle, and they find it almost overwhelming to start a business. And I know some of them are in this situation right now. And if they were to hear this, they'd be thinking, I have to also message everybody and even jump on a call with them. H how do you allocate that amount of time? Is there a specific amount of time you would say you should do that? Is it quantifiable? Is it more just follow your intuition? What, what would you advise in terms of that? Mm, you know, uh, a leader that I love to follow and uh, I've read a lot of his books, his podcast named Andy Stanley says this. <sighs> he says, um, do for one what you wish you could do for all. And he actually leads a large church here in America with thousands of people. I mean, hundreds of staff. And so one, it's one of those things where you think of a church and the goal there is to be able to connect with every person, you know, pray with every person, talk to every person, but eventually you can't. And so that's why that quote is so powerful. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. I think the effort when you're in a very busy season is important. And so I can respect the overwhelm. I respect the side hustle and the grind. And so look, it, I'm not saying you have to answer every message. I'm not saying you have to answer every tweet, but I am saying you should at least try. Mm. And I also think that it could be very seasonal. You know, even the idea, I think uploading one video a week to YouTube is the minimum. I think that 52 videos a year, it's your weekly show. You can really build momentum. You can get known for that. But that's also not how I built Think Media. I was too busy. I was working for freelance clients. I had a full-time job and I was trying to build my side hustle. So because of ranked videos, that's what's cool about YouTube. You create leverage. So you make the video once, but if it ranks in search, people can watch it for weeks, months, and years to come. You know, early on in Think Media, I might've uploaded one video in February, no videos for four weeks. Then I went, you know, three back to back. Then I was dark again. Then during the summer, I was able to be really consistent. And similar to uploading content, I would also potentially batch that engagement. Certain seasons, I might be like, cool, I've got a couple, uh, some time opened up. Let me grab my phone and, and do this and engage on, on, uh, with people. And so it's, when you're in that side hustle, build your business season, it's messy. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be ideal. And I, don't, I never really had like perfectly managed schedules. The last kind of maybe just practical tip I'd give is I think there's a lot of margin times that people are not maximizing. You're stuck in traffic. Maybe you shouldn't be on your phone in traffic, but hey, if you have a Tesla, put it on autopilot, pull out your phone, you know, and, and engage uh, with some people on social media. You're waiting at a doctor's appointment. You're standing in line at the grocery store. You can connect with five or six people by just opening up your phone, going into your YouTube comments or replying to a few emails. You know, pull your phone out and shoot a couple Twitter videos when you're, you know, you didn't expect to be delayed um, for an appointment. And so if you can maximize those margin times, and the last thing I would say, especially for that side hustle season, is there's no question that success takes sacrifice. And it's not, I think, that you could sacrifice forever, or if you will, burn the candle at both 
ends forever. That'll lead to burnout, but you can do it for a season. You know, Dave Ramsey has a quote that says, live today like no one else, so that later in life, you can live like no one else. And so when you are in the side hustle season, it's tough. I'm empathetic. And those listening, the overwhelm, the pressure, you know, the stress, but never forget, pressure makes diamonds. You're getting stronger. You're growing your capacity and you are in a season of sacrifice. You might be like, man, I don't know if I can take this. You can keep going, keep building because you see a vision. You see that destination that you want to get to and you recognize that you're living today like no one else. Your friends are going out to party. People are taking time off. People are watching some Netflix. That's nothing's wrong with any of that. But if you've got a bigger vision, you've got bigger goals, then put in that extra work and, and I look back and I thought, man, there was a lot of nights I didn't go off my friends. And there was a lot of nights when I would edit video after I'd worked my day job, waiting tables at Red Robin, which is a burger uh, place here in, um, in, in the Pacific Northwest. And, and I would just keep working on those margin times. But that was the foundation that led to what we're doing today. That season of sacrifice led to success. So keep going. Don't give up. You can absolutely get there. And when you feel like you're going to break, you may just need to rest a little bit. And then whenever some time opens up again, jump back on it. You know, tired eyes rarely see a bright future. If you're overwhelmed, then, then rest. But then, hey, pick it back up. Like Think Media. I, I felt discouraged I hadn't uploaded for a couple months. What's the best thing to do? Upload the next time you can. You might feel disconnected. You haven't been able to engage with your community for a few weeks. Don't, don't dwell on the fact that like, that's the past. Like You couldn't. You got a family. You got kids. You got some things that came up. Don't worry about that. The next time a window opens, put that hustle in a little bit more. You know, Tony Robbins, we, we've heard the famous quote, most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in 10. And I've learned that little by little, a little becomes a lot. And so if brick by brick, when you create a relationship, create a true fan, upload a video, it, it might not feel like it's amounting to much, but next thing you know, you're living your dream. Next thing you know, you are able to transition out of that day job and live in your dream job. So for you, Sean, nowadays, how do you tend to structure your day? Uh, what, what does your typical work day look like in terms of how many hours is that? What does it look like? So uh, I'm not working the four-hour work week, that's for sure, um, <laughs> nor do I actually really want to because I've built a business around my passion. I've built a business doing what I love. Um, I also would say that I'm still in a season of sacrifice because my vision is bigger than my present reality. So um, I'm putting in extra time. We could have settled a while ago, as I mentioned. You know, we could have settled. And there's, I also, I'm not even saying there'd be anything wrong with that. But because we want to impact more people and do more, um, I'm putting in quite a bit of work. You know, even as I got more team members, that took a lot more off my plate. I didn't work less. I just worked just as much, but now I'm working with more people. I also think that, um, I hope that's inspiring. I think that as the key leader, um, you know, people are watching you and I think it, it's very empowering when they see that, you know, you're, you're not letting the foot off the gas either. Your role might be changing, but you're still, if, if you expect them to work hard, that you model hard work. So, you know, most days I I'm, I'm seven to seven, you know, I'm doing 12 hour days, uh, and those days, though, you know, keeping in mind I, that my, that includes my morning routine, which I think is very, very important. I've uh, created a prize fighter morning routine. I read a really great book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod a couple years ago. It changed my life. So I usually take an hour to get my mind right, 
to, to read. For me, I work on my faith and prayer and the Bible a little bit, but then I'll read a success book. I will journal. Um, I will uh, take some time to look over my goals. And so I do that in the morning. You know, fitness, I also think, is a huge foundational key for accelerating and having massive impact as an entrepreneur. So that, that would be included in that as well. And a lot of times I would probably maybe spend an hour working, in the, uh, working out in the morning or running. And so usually there's a few couple hours before the workday starts. And, you know, we're also in a season, and I think this is important, seasons of life absolutely change. My wife and I, uh, we don't have kids yet. So we're able to do things that maybe people that, you know, you want to be present with your kids. So do I. One of the reasons I'm hustling so hard is so that I can create the infrastructure to have a lot more margin with maintaining the momentum in our business as we move into a season of having kids. And so um, saying all that, once the day starts, I would usually grind from, you know, eight or nine to probably 7 p.m. at night. Um, and then, and then hang out with my wife, eat dinner, spend a couple hours together. And sometimes, and this is a particularly intense season. We just had a live event, a huge product launch. We're launching a book right now. We're in the middle of a tour. And so I don't think that I really believe in rest and rhythms and pace. So this is an extra intense season, but even normally I would say like my vacation, you know, 40 hours a week, in my opinion, is a vacation, (laughs) um, you know, for real. Uh, and so, you know, typically 50 or 60. But the final thing I'd also say is we have, we have created total time and location freedom. So we could take a day off. My wife and I, we could take three days off. We could go, we do a lot of mini vacations. I've learned self-awareness that actually I don't even want to take a week vacation. I'm going to get bored pretty quick, but I love three, four days. And we could do that throughout the year, multiple times. So I love the rhythm of, like I said, if you get tired, rest. And that's kind of what I, if, if I'm feeling like it's, I'm kind of grinding to a halt or it's. I'm feeling pretty tired. I'm feeling pretty uh, fatigued. I've learned also that your best work, your best creativity, your best stuff's not even coming out of you in those times. So we we will rest hard and then we'll we'll work hard, you know? And so um, that's kind of my rhythm right now. And and, uh, we're absolutely ambitious and focused on what we want to build. So we're definitely putting in the work. I I heard a quote saying about entrepreneurship that I traded in my nine to five for a five to nine. And, uh, <laughs> I love and, I, that. <laughs> and, and, and the final thing I'd say is this, we're actually in our third year of business right now. Um, in a few months, we'll be going into our fourth year of business. Mm-hmm. And so this is also uh, just like I was sacrificing in my side hustle season. I'm sacrificing in our scale season. I think most even experts or people who've done this before, you know, year five, six, seven is when things maybe change and you've really built the company and so I've accepted that reality, but here's the thing. I'm enjoying every minute of it. You know, I hope whatever business you build, unless you just want to build it and sell it and get out of there, like if it's the thing you love, man, if you love doing it, like it doesn't feel like work, you know, this feels like a great joy, a great privilege. And uh, I have just immense gratitude every day for getting to do uh, what I love. And that's not to say, I know I'm taking this long, but that's not to say, that you're going to love everything. You know, every entrepreneur, you still got to take the trash out. You still got to do things you don't love. You sit there, you know, not every day do I skip out of bed like this is just going to be awesome. But as a rule, I have, I absolutely love what I do. And, and I think we live in a world where you can create that because of the internet, because of free tools like YouTube, because of low cost tools like smartphones and all these cameras. It's a stunning what's possible. And so the team that I get to hang out with, the work my wife and I get to do together, the content that we get to create, 
it's a massive joy. So I consider myself privileged um, to, uh, if you will, get to work as hard as I do and do what I get to do. I think that's uh, inspirational for every single one of us, one of us hearing. This is what I really love about uh, uh, all of the insiders that tend to come onto the show and so forth. It's just, they, it's, it's interesting because I asked this to Ryan as well in terms of his work hours. And he said, because uh, I said, on one side, we got people who want the four hour work week. And on the other side, I've got people tuning in and they're really burnt out. And I said, which one are you on? And he said, well, everybody who pursues the four hour will one day get to a point where they're burning out once they find that, right? Because they got the, the impact that they want to fulfill. And it's so interesting. It's always kind of the same pattern. You want more time freedom, but once you get it, you're kind of like, or more financial freedom, you kind of fill it up. Now, in terms of um, your day, um, you mentioned you, you took on more team members and you began to delegate some tasks and so forth. I'm curious to know with the time we got remaining, what did you end up keeping in terms of your important priorities and why did you keep that? Yeah, I um, delegated if you will, my weaknesses. And so one of the things I've learned is, is about myself is that again, I was just kind of a solo creative. My background's video and video editing and kind of just being a content creator, not an, not an operator, not, a, not someone who would run a business. I've grown as a leader and I think I've got a grace to, to be the leader, to lead well, but I would say administratively and organizationally I'm weak. And so our chief operation officer right now is Heather Torres. Um, and so she is operating and over the years, what I have, um, it's been three working together. Now, one of the clarity points I've had was also that if I get too involved in managing people, it's going to suck the joy out of my life and also not be my skill set. So I've realized that leadership is my role, not management. And I still do both. I think that the best leaders are still detailed people and they still are very aware of what's happening in their business. But now that we, once we hit about seven people, plus my wife and I, and plus Heather, you know, they say you can only manage, uh, effectively manage about seven people. And so as companies grow, right, there's those layers. So the way we've been structuring our company is that she's, she's operator. She's operating the company and everyone is under her. And then I can stay key visionary and content creator and stay in my zone of genius. And um, the other thing we've learned, another term for her is integrator that if you're the visionary, that there's that integrator that then makes all that vision and kind of chaos you create. You know, one thing we were throwing around the other day is I'm kind of like the Tasmanian devil. Like I just spin into this place and I just create all these problems and chaos for our business, but in a good way. Like I can spin in and create revenue and create some different things, but then it's, it's gotta be managed. So she is uh, legendary in being able to uh, help um, me uh, make an impact with those types of things. The other thing that was a big thing to delegate and was actually really before Heather was actually my core competency. You know, I think that a lid on most entrepreneurs is handing over the thing that you do like video editing for me. It was actually the shooting and the editing of video. And I really had a mental block that said nobody could do this as good as me. You know, and if, if someone takes this over too, even my audience, the viewers would be like, oh man, you sold out or what happened? Like, who'd you hand this over to? And and so one of the people on our team is uh, Omar El Takori. And I remember when we started working together at first, I, I remember we uploaded one of the first videos he edited. I thought, man, people in, my, in the audience, they're going to say, oh, what happened? You know, what changed? But guess how many comments we got about it? Zero, right? Nobody said anything. In fact, after some time, uh, 
uh, I realized that, man, actually, like, he's better than I am. You know what I mean? Like, that actually, a lot of times, it's pride and ego that can block you as an entrepreneur, as the leader in an organization. And then even since that time, and this is one of the things we've been growing as well, is that I've wanted to realize, like, this thing has been built kind of on me. Like, they see me on camera and whatnot. I'm trying to bring other people on my team on camera so that we can scale our impact and not just build, you know, if you will, my brand, but build our brand as a team. So those are some of the things that we're doing. But as far as delegating goes, what I've kept is, you know, one of our main signature courses is called Video Ranking Academy. And that is that process of finding those keywords, optimizing videos, the marketing, the psychology that goes behind positioning your content. And I still do the graphic design for my own thumbnails. I still do the Video Ranking Academy titles and tags and research. Um, and that is delegatable and probably in 2019 it will be, but I've, I've stayed in a lot of, if you will, the same things that I still do on the content releasing, you know, the writing of my own captions, the engaging on social. So I've tried to automate anything that I can, that I'm not great at or, or delegate anything that I'm not great at, but I've also kept a lot of things as well that are sometimes, again, like I probably, uh, as a CEO of a seven figure media company, shouldn't be doing the graphic design on thumbnails, but I still do. And I, um, I also think that I've always seen like delegating. Well, it's fine. I think you as a business owner, you could delegate by yourself more time. But again, I just stay in the trenches with everybody, if that makes sense. Like I love just the process of creating together. I mean, uh, like I'm not trying to be disconnected. I am not trying to do the four hour work week. Maybe someday I will again, kids, you know, some other things shift the, the ways things are structured, but I, I'm right there in the trenches. And so therefore, I'm also still willing to do each piece. I think I have a huge advantage as a CEO where, where I can lead without fear because I've built every stage of our business, meaning I've been in the back end of our software. I know how to send emails. I know how to set up an autoresponder sequence. I know how to edit a video. I know how to design uh, thumbnails. I've learned a lot of skill sets because I've been building them one by one over the last 10 years. So that also helps me lead and also have no fear that if we lose somebody, if someone was to leave, I'd be devastated. It'd be a huge setback, but I could always just jump back in. And so I think I, I lead, if you will, from the top of the mountain um, and am able to just cast vision, but then I'm, I'm ready to get down in the dirt and whatever it takes. I'll still edit videos. I'll still chop up some micro content. Um, I'll still, whatever, like anything, right? I'll still edit some photos, like, and uh, I th that makes a unique dynamic for our team. That's definitely different than I think how other businesses are run. But that's probably the last thing I would say, you know, what we're even building is pretty peculiar. Like it's not, there was not like a college course for it. There isn't really like uh, a path that's been paved before. We're building this kind of hybrid. I was a solo YouTube creator that now is expanding into these other territories. And almost every day I realize we have never been here before. What are we even doing? Where are we going? What's happening? Because it's such a new territory in a time of massive opportunity and change with technology. So uh, we're just trying to navigate and take it one decision at a time, um, one step at a time. And um, it's been very interesting. Just speaking to you, I can feel the, the energy and excitement. <laughs> and I think that's what it's all about. And that's what I've felt from you, I suppose, throughout this interview, it's just the passion that's just coming through. So to wrap up, Sean, uh, firstly, just want to say thank you for your time today. Um, to wrap up, what would you say if people were to just walk away with one message, okay, one belief, whatever it may be, what would that one message be? A big, big takeaway from today's uh, video interview. 
you know, I'm going to kind of take this, it's just what's coming to me, a different angle than maybe something we've, we've touched on. But on a macro level, just from a success standpoint, I think the biggest um, takeaway for everybody listening would be one thing that I think is a huge critical key to success, and it's this, delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And what I mean, another word for that could be patience, because for so many of us, we're living in a world where we're seeing people spring up what appears to be overnight success. We see so many people, you know, uh, what it appears to be living the dream we wish we had. On Instagram, we see people's highlight reel, although the fact is they're just not posting their blooper reel. Um, <laughs> but what I've learned about that is that, again, um, I, I talk to people all the time who maybe they, they, they want to jump into that that car they want to buy or that season they want to do or whatever. And for me, I think delayed gratification, meaning uh, a willingness to live today like no one else so that later in life you can live like no one else, putting in the work, being hidden, being not recognized. You know, I waited tables at Red Robin. And I remember I worked there for 10 years. And I remember people I went to high school with came in and I would wait on them. And this isn't bad. I have the utmost respect for waiters and servers and wait waitresses as I was one for 10 years. But I remember seeing them and they would have, you know, a nice job and they'd have, uh, uh, they'd come in with, with whatever car, whatever vehicle, and they were in their career. And I'd be thinking to myself, man, you know, what am I doing? You know, where am I going? But because I had a vision and I thought, I'm doing this, I'm waiting tables. Why? Because of the flexibility, because I'm able to compact my work into a couple of days so I can work on my side hustle. I had my day job because I was working on my dream job. However, you might need to steward that dream for five or 10 years, maybe 15 or 20. But if you can have delayed gratification, meaning you, 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 you're wise with your money, you're wise with your time, delayed gratification of not living it up. And when everybody else is going to Coachella, you're, you're putting in the work, you're hustling. When everybody else is like, you know, posting about their vacation, you're putting in the extra work. That I think has been one of the foundational things for the success insiders that has been critical to my success, a willingness to have a very long-term vision, to be patient, to, uh, to try to be as wise as possible with resources and to not try to cash in too early, to have very uh, a high level of patience and to be focused on the long game, not the short game. Patience, I love it. Sean, just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for your energy today. Uh, we feel like we've had all had a shot of espresso today, thanks to you. <laughs> I appreciate um, it, Tim, thank you. 